This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Kerry Turner, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you very much for having me. Um, Kerry lives in Sydney and trained from a young age to become a ballerina. Yes. But life had other ideas for her. After gaining degrees in dance and writing, which I'm not sure how well they go together. <laughs> they, well, they're both storytelling, aren't they? They are. I always say that dancers have to have a knowledge of storytelling. They do it through movement and expression rather than words but they have to be able to convey a story in order to move their audience, just like a writer does. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, so she combined her love of ballet, history and books to discover a passion for writing historical fiction, which far outweighed anything else she'd done before. Kerry's stunning debut novel, The Last Days of the Romanov Dancers, was published in January and chronicles the life of a dancer working in the Russian Imperial Ballet in the chaotic days before the Russian Revolution. Kerry's currently working on her second historical fiction novel, The Daughter of Victory Lights. You've already even got a title already. (laughs) Hopefully it stays the same. (laughs) Scheduled for release in 2020. When she's not writing, she still dances, passing on the joy of ballet to those who didn't get to experience it in their earlier years by teaching adults and over 55 classes. So people that have never danced and are over 55... Uh, taking ballet. They are, ballet and tap dancing, and they're very, very good. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That it's really brilliant. surprises me. Yeah, I, and I love doing it. Um, most of them, of course, had made the assumption that it was something that would not be an option for them, but I find both dance forms really adaptable to any body type. You just have to, you know, put some thought into it. And, so and they're getting around. up on their toes? Not not up on point, no. no. <laughs> I won't push them that hard. Although I do have, I do adult classes as well, and some of my adult ladies in their sort of 40s or so have started learning point work. And when did you start doing point work? I started point work when I was about 12 or 13. So tell me about your career. How did you start um, dancing? Uh, My mum tells it that I started asking for dance classes when I was three and she thought it was a phase I was going through. Which we all do. Yes, yes, it's understandable. But by the time I was five, she was like, okay, maybe it's not such a phase after all and enrolled me in dance lessons. And I started with ballet and then gradually added in tap and contemporary and jazz, dancing and all the rest of it. And did that all through my formative years. Very much wanted to be a dancer as my career. I Once I graduated high school, I got into a full-time dance course for two years where it was very intense training. Ballet or all sorts of uh, dance? It was a combination of ballet and contemporary and a few other little things, but the focus was really on ballet and contemporary dance. Um, 
and after the two years, I'd sort of hit a point where I had to face some realities of um, my body type and and the politics of dance and things like that. And I had to let go of the idea of being a performer. And that being was a, a professional dancer. Yes, yes, yes. It's a tough gig, isn't it? It is. It's very demanding. Obviously, it's demanding on the body. Yeah. Um, but it's really demanding on the heart and soul as Why well, I think. Why is that? It's just you have to throw so much of yourself into it. There's a lot of things you have to deny yourself. You cannot have a regular social life um, because of the hours that are involved. You know, if you're a professional, you're performing at nighttime, so you're not going out to dinner with friends or things like that. But then during the daylight hours, you're you're training, you're rehearsing, you're perfecting, you're trying on costumes. It's a very all-encompassing life. And some people thrive on that. I thought I would, um, but it turned out not to be the right fit for mm. me. In the and end. that's a difficult, um, uh, I guess it's a difficult um, decision to come to, isn't it? it? Was. I mean, I know sports people do that as yes. well. Yes, and yeah. it is very difficult, um, especially with things that are physical, like dance or sports. You have to start them so young. And, you know, I felt like my identity was wrapped around this idea of being a dancer. So letting go of that was quite a painful moment in my life. Yeah, actors would be the same. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Because you have to love it to mm. pursue it, you know. And I actually, I fell out of love with dance for a while there. And I think that's the part that hurt me the most. Mm. More than giving it up, more than walking away from was it. Was it you, f you fell out of love with the actual act of dance or the politics and hard work? I think it was the, the politics. The hard work I didn't mind so much, except for the fact that it's so tied up with the politics sometimes that hard work alone doesn't pay off. And, and are you just, talking about auditions? Auditions were fine. I yeah. was very prepared for that. Yeah. It was more so. It's tough, isn't it? Oh, Rejection it is. is tough. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you can walk into an audition and they go, no, you're wrong before you've even yeah. moved a muscle and they turn you away. And I was prepared for that. Um, but I think I was a bit naive in terms of the, I guess, the, the making connections with people, you know, having to know certain people and having to build those relationships. Because you know, I was 17 when I was at this stage yeah. and it was all throwing me in the deep end. I was very introverted yeah. um, and it was difficult and I was sort of sitting there thinking, why isn't the dance enough? And so I fell out of love with probably not the, the act of dance itself, but just the whole world around it. But I had to step away from dance completely for a few years in order to fall back in love with it. I never danced. I didn't watch any dance, anything mm. like that. I cut myself off. It was great. It was. It was yeah. like that, which might sound odd when mm. it, it's not a person, but it, it felt like a person because it was a big part of me. Mm. And um, Well, I guess then you have to start all over again, yes, don't you? Yes, yeah. very much so. And I didn't know who I was yeah. without dance. And I'd always talked about from you know, childhood that I was going to write a book one day. I thought it would be after my dance career. Um, but for a few years after walking away from dance, I I just tried different jobs, you know. I, I've had an assortment of interesting jobs that I've done. I was lucky enough to meet my husband in that time. Um, but I was, I don't want to say floundering, but, you know, I was trying to find me again, I guess, yeah. who the new me was. And eventually 
I was living in Townsville with my husband and he got a job offer in Sydney, which we accepted. Is he a dancer? No, no. no. Oh, that's good. He's, he's polar opposite to me. Yeah, he's right. very good. <laughs> that good. Is, I don't good. think I could live with another opposite person to too creative. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be too full on. Yeah. Um, but he said to me, look, when we move, instead of jumping straight into looking for work again, why don't you take an opportunity to learn a bit more about writing and try it and see if this thing you've always talked about is the thing for you? And it turned out it was, and it felt even more me than dance had, which was amazing. It's something very unexpected. And had you been writing through that time when you were dancing? Um, Do you remember writing growing actually, up? Yes, yes, I and was. And reading? Yes, I was reader from a very young age. My parents encouraged uh, me and my siblings to all read from a very young age. And my mother, you know, she taught us all to write our own names before we went to preschool and things like that. So there was a big encouragement and enthusiasm for reading and writing. And I'd always played around with writing stories. Yeah. Um, Just something I'd always done just for me and for fun and things like that. Um, And it just... I don't know why I didn't realise it was such a good fit for me when I was doing it all the time anyway, but when I really made it my focus, I was just astounded by how well it fit me. So how did you approach it? So you went to, um, uh, where did you study writing? I joined a six-month course with Faber Academy. Oh, yeah, yes. over at Alan and Unwin. Yes, yeah, It's yes. a great course. Oh, it's wonderful. It's called Writing a Novel, and yeah. it was in 2012 that I enrolled in that course and that just was brilliant. You know, it taught me all the basics I needed to know about writing a novel and the aim was for you to finish a first draft over the six-month course. It it didn't matter if you didn't. I did, which I was very grateful for. So it was very specific feedback with your tutors and we had lots of guest authors and that who came and gave us a lot of confidence. Yeah, I I, I don't know anyone who hasn't enjoyed that course. No, everyone I've Mm. met who has done it just raves about it. It was... Yeah, it was really the start for me yeah. in getting to where I am now. Mm. Um, okay, so you you did the Faber course, and then you thought you walked away with a novel. Yes, did you think? Yes, yes. And was that this novel? It was. Oh, yes. Wow, there you go. So first attempt. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, there was a lot of back and forth after the six month course. There always um, is. Yes with uh, trying to get feedback on it, submitting to agents, publishers, um, getting the requisite, you know, uh, rejections that everyone gets. By then you would have been used to rejections. (laughs) (laughs) The dance background was great for that as well. I have very thick skin from from that, so rejection doesn't hurt me. (laughs) I think um, writing a book, I'm I'm not sure if I've spoken about this on on, um, this podcast before, um, and I was, and I, as you know, I've spoken to many writers about their writing style, but I think you do really, really have to be very thick-skinned. Yes. Um, it's a process where even from the start, when you tell people you're writing, yes. there comes criticism then. Oh, yes. <laughs> then when you finish writing and then start to tease it out and yep. agents and publishers, huge rejection then. Yes. And then when you're published... It gets put out there in the big bad world and everybody has an opinion as well. Oh, yes. And they love to say their opinion nice and loud and clear. (laughs) Nice and loud and clear. So you are really always being judged. Yes. Yeah, I think that's difficult. It is. And I actually am really glad. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And I had the dance experience I had because it can be very brutal as well. Yeah, that it absolutely. didn't hurt me the way I know it does hurt a lot of people yeah. who are aspiring writers or new writers. It's very hard not to get your feelings hurt when you've put your heart and soul and a lot of years work yeah. into this project yeah. but it's it's what happens yeah okay so tell me how did you get published um so as i said i did the few years back and forth plenty of rejections plenty of rewrites that kind of thing but stuck with it i did yes yeah. and um and i started some other projects while yeah. i was doing it just so i didn't sa- send myself crazy with constant rejection over the one and you project. were doing this full-time at this day i was yes yeah. oh i mean i i started teaching dance again after a while i mean writing the book really helped me fall in love with dance again yeah and then i started teaching dance well you again helped me I fall in love with dance oh, i'm so not glad. again <laughs> but um beautifully beautifully told story Thank about so that much. and we'll get to the story yes um so tell me how that happened um so you fell in love with dance again through yes. the writing yes and then you worked on it back and forward, back yes. and forward. Yeah. And then in 2017, I sent a submission to a new agency, the Nash Agency, run by Haley Nash. And um, she actually very quickly responded to me, which was a new thing, yeah. <laughs> and said, this sounds fantastic. Can you? It's exactly what I'm looking for. Can you send me the manuscript? So I sent the manuscript and within a few weeks she said, yep, I loved the book. I'd love to sign you to my agency. And um, within a few months after that, she'd gotten me a two-book publishing deal with Harlequin. And here you are. Yes. Yeah, wow. <laughs> okay, so tell me about the story. So the story, it's set in um, the years leading up to the Russian Revolution in Petrograd, which was formerly known as St. Petersburg. And why did you want to set it in Russia? Because of the dance background. Yeah. Um, Is that where ballet... Yes. Tell me the history of ballet, just very yeah. briefly, I know. Because <laughs> we don't that. have five hours, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was started in France, ballet was, but it, ballet as we know it today was really shaped in Russia and particularly in this era and with these dancers in the Imperial Russian Ballet. I mean, it's the era that Tchaikovsky was was, you know, um, composing Swan Lake and all these classic ballets now were being created on these dancers whose names we still know, like Vaslav Nijinsky and Anna Pavlova. Um, and they were just superstars to me. And it was always going to be, if I wrote about ballet, it was going to be those people in that era because they were who I idolised and who shaped the art form that I love. Right. How do you, um, what is it that you loved about them? What did you see of their work? I think it was just the passion that they have and the artistry. You know, it's 
ballet, if you're lucky enough to find clips from back in the era, there aren't many. But that's what I was thinking. I mean, there's there mustn't be a lot of footage. No, there's no. not. And a lot of the times, you know, the ballet Roos Diagolev who ran it, he refused to ever have it recorded because he said cameras couldn't capture. They weren't good enough to capture the way the people danced them. And he was probably right. Yes, yeah. and I think he was right. But there is some footage of Anna Pavlova dancing the dying swan that exists and you watch it and it's not technically perfect the way it would be demanded of a dancer today but the way she moves and expresses herself even in this grainy little black and white video you know you sit there with tears running down your face by the end of the video because they really really cared about the artistry and the stories that they were telling mm. because it's the it's not just the dance it's the facial expression as yes, well isn't yes it? and i I feel like sometimes in modern companies it's gotten lost a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and I think that's why I'm so drawn yeah. to these dancers of this era because that was the focus first and foremost. You know, yeah. the the technique came after the artistry. Is it like story? To, like I always think that with writing a book um, and a, a novel in particular, um, you need the craft. Yes. And you need the story. Yes. And once those two meld, yes, hopefully you've got a great book, right? <laughs> hopefully, because <laughs> sometimes you do read something; it's a great yes. story, and the, yep. the craft is crap, yes, you know, and definitely. vice versa. Or vice versa, yeah. yeah. Is ballet the same? Do you think? I think so. For me, it is anyway. I suppose everyone has their own experiences watching a ballet, but for me. I love the classic ballets because they do tell a story. Yeah. Um, you know, I love stories. Obviously, I'm writing now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it needs to be that combination of, yes, there has to be the technique to support the story that's being told. But if you have one without the other, if you have story but no technique or technique but no story, no artistry, it just doesn't have the same effect. It doesn't feel like the same transporting experience yeah. that it can be. Yeah, I agree. Um, when you're teaching your students um, – adults and the over 55s which are also adults (laughs) is there some of them you think wow they've really got they've got a natural ability a lot of them actually surprise me um with not just the ability but how fast they pick up things i mean that's something that's demanded of dancers you have to pick up choreography very fast and I would have thought, particularly with my over 55s class, I mean, the average age in that group is actually early 70s, and they pick up I like so rapidly. <laughs> over 55. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. Uh, I won't but take that personally. They're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then, I mean, it must, I, I'm trying to think of, I, I mean, I've spoken to, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds yep. of writers, and I don't think that I've ever read a book um, where, you know, where there have been dancers in there and there have yes. been many books. Yeah. But the, the actual writer was a dancer. Is yes. there – can you give me – do you know of anyone? Oh. I don't I don't know anyone. I'm, I can't think off the top of my head of anyone. No. That, I mean, the closest I can think of is Lorna Hill, who was a writer who wrote the Sadler's Wells series throughout the, I think, 50s and 60s, and her daughter was a dancer at Sadler's Wells, and she right. based her books on her daughter's experiences. Uh, but that's the closest I can yeah. think of, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, that whole um, 
saying where they say to write what you know. Yes. Obviously, that's exactly what you're doing. Yes, I like to do a combo. Yeah. I like to take something I know and then take something I know nothing about yeah. <laughs> and jam the two together. <laughs> okay, so tell us, give me an overview of the story. Yes. The so, last days of the Romanov dancers. So we have uh, two dancers in the Romanov-owned Imperial Russian Ballet yeah. and they both come from poor factory working backgrounds, which was actually quite rare in that I was world. going to say, did that ever happen? It did, yeah. but very sort of infrequently. Yeah. I mean, if you were born into a factory working family, there were two ways out, opera or ballet. Oh, wow. But first preference in auditions and that was given to people who were connected um, or aristocratic or elite in one way or another. So yeah. it was very hard to get into, but it's not unheard of right. for it to happen. And, and I found that fascinating and thought how amazing if you were from that background to be thrown into this completely new, opulent, glittering world. So that's why I wanted to have my characters show the, the differences between the two and they both react to their positions in society and the company in very different ways to each other. So we have Valentina, who's a soloist in the company, which is quite high-ranking, and she's very desperate not to go back to her poverty-stricken roots, and she will do anything she can to ensure that that doesn't happen, which for her involves having a protector who is a man who uses his money and influence and power to her benefit in exchange for exclusive use of her bed and body, which is a real thing that the dancers did do back then as well. And then we have Luca, who is young. He's a quarter ballet dancer, just joined the company. And he's struggling with feelings of guilt because his brother has gone off to fight in the brand new war against Germany. And his position in this company means he's exempt from being conscripted to the war. So he really struggles with that guilt over his brother going off and him not, not ever having to face that. And it's compounded by his father who treats him like a bit of a traitor towards his people mm. for taking up that position in the ballet. And then obviously the two are thrown together time and time again. Company Ballet companies are very much like little families. Mm -hmm. You cannot escape each other. Mm. <laughs> and their conflicting ways of viewing their world um, causes a bit of tension between them but also some sparks flying and then obviously as a background to that we have the war, we have civil unrest that keeps growing and it's all leading to the Russian Revolution which puts the dancers in a lot of danger because they are, their company is owned by the Romanov family, they're very publicly connected to them mm. Well done Well done Thank you, you. <laughs> Carrie Turner the last days of the Romanov dancers. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you for having me here. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, 
join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.